Chapter Six of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Six. Lead, silver, diamonds, glass. They sound like the accursed, but they're not. They're now of the chosen. That is, when they occur in metallic or stony masses that science has recognized as meteorites, we find that resistance is to substances not so mixed in or incorporated. Of accursed data, it seems to me that punk is pretty damnable. In the report of the British Association, 1876-376, there is a mention of a light chocolate-brown substance that has fallen with meteorites. No particulars given. Not another mention anywhere else that I can find. In this English publication, the word punk is not used. The substance is called amadou. I suppose if the datum has anywhere been invented to French publications, the word amadou has been avoided and punk used. Or oneness of allness. Scientific works and social registers. A Goldstein who can't get in as Goldstein, gets in as Jackson. The fall of sulphur from the sky has been especially repulsive to the modern orthodoxy, largely because of its associations with the superstitions or principles of the preceding orthodoxy, stories of devils, sulphurous exhalations. Several writers have said that they have had this feeling. So the scientific reactionists, who have rapidly fought the preceding, because it was the preceding, and the scientific prudes, who in sheer exclusionism, have held lean hands over pale eyes, the dying falls of sulphur. I have many notes upon the sulphurous odor of meteorites, and many notes upon the phosphorescence of things that come from externality. Some day I shall look over old stories of demons that have appeared sulphurously upon this earth with the idea of expressing that we have often had undesirable visitors from other worlds, or that an indication of external derivation is sulphurousness. I expect some day to rationalize demonology, but just at present we are scarcely far enough advanced to go so far back. For a circumstantial account of a mass of burning sulphur, about the size of a man's fist, that fell at Poltusk, Poland, January 30, 1868, upon a road, where it was stamped out by a crowd of villagers. See Report of the British Association, 1874-272. The power of the exclusionists lie in that, in their stand, are combined both modern and archaic systematists. Folds of sandstone and limestone are repulsive to both theologians and scientists. Sandstone and limestone suggest other worlds upon which occur processes like geological processes. But limestone, as a fossiliferous substance, is of course especially of the unchosen. In Science, March 9, 1888, we read of a block of limestone, said to have fallen near Middleburg, Florida. It was exhibited at the Subtropical Exposition at Jacksonville. The writer in Science denies that it fell from the sky. His reasoning is, 
There is no limestone in the sky. Therefore, this limestone did not fall from the sky. Better reasoning I cannot conceive of, because we see that a final major premise, universal, true, would include all things, that then would leave nothing to reason about, so then that all reasoning must be based upon something not universal, or only a phantom intermediate to the two finalities of nothingness and allness, of negativeness and positiveness. La Nature, 1890-2-127 Fall, at Pelle et d'Air, Laube, France, June 6, 1890, of limestone pebbles, identified with limestone at Chateau-Landon, or up and down in a whirlwind. But they fell with hail, which in June could not very well be identified with ice from Chateau-Landon. Coincidence, perhaps. Upon page 70, Science Gossip, 1887, the editor says of a stone that was reported to have fallen at Little Lever, England, that a sample had been sent to him. It was sandstone. Therefore, it had not fallen, but had been on the ground in the first place. But upon page 140, Science Gossip, 1887, is an account of a large, smooth, water-worn, gritty sandstone pebble that had been found in the wood of a full-ground beech tree. Looks to me as if it had fallen red-hot, and had penetrated the tree with high velocity. But I have never heard of anything falling red-hot from a whirlwind. The wood around the sandstone pebble was black, as if charred. Dr. Farrington, for instance, in his books, does not even mention sandstone. However, the British Association, though reluctant, is less exclusive. Report of 1860, page 197, substance about the size of a duck's egg, that fell at Raffo, Ireland, June 9, 1860. Date questioned. It is not definitely said that this substance was sandstone, but that it resembled friable sandstone. Falls of salt have occurred often. They have been avoided by scientific writers because of the dictum that only water and not substances held in solution can be raised by evaporation. However, falls of salty water have received attention from Dalton and others, and have been attributed to whirlwinds from the sea. This is so reasonably contested, quasi-reasonably, as to places not far from the sea. But the fall of salt that occurred high in the mountains of Switzerland, we could have predicted that that datum could be found somewhere. Let anything be explained in local terms of the coast of England, but also has it occurred high in the mountains of Switzerland. Large crystals of salt fell in a hailstorm, August 20, 1870, in Switzerland. The orthodox explanation is a crime. Whoever made it should have had his fingerprints taken. We are told, Annual Record of Science, 1872, that these objects of salt, quote, came over the Mediterranean from some part of Africa, end quote. Or, the hypnosis of the conventional, provided it be glib. One reads such an assertion, and provided it be suave and brief and conventional, 
one seldom questions or thinks very strange and then forgets. One has an impression from geography lessons. Mediterranean, not more than three inches wide, on the map. Switzerland, only a few more inches away. These sizable masses of salt are described in the American Journal of Science, 3-3-239, as, quote, essentially imperfect cubic crystals of common salt, end quote. As to occurrence with hail, that can, in one, or ten, or twenty instances, be called a coincidence. Another datum, Extraordinary Year, 1883, London Times, December 25, 1883. Translation from a Turkish newspaper. A substance that fell at Scutari, December 2, 1883. Described as an unknown substance in particles or flakes, like snow. Quote, it was found to be saltish to the taste and to dissolve readily in water. End quote. Miscellaneous. Quote, black capillary matter, end quote, that fell November 16, 1857, at Charleston. South Carolina. American Journal of Science, 2-31-459. Fall of small, friable, vesicular masses, from the size of a pea to size of a walnut, at Lobo, January 18, 1835. Report of the British Association. 1860-85 Objects that fell at Peshawar, India, June 1893, during a storm, substance that looked like crystallized nitre, and that tasted like sugar. Nature, July 13, 1893 I suppose sometimes deep-sea fishes have their noses bumped by cinders. If their regions be subjacent, to cunard or white star routes, they're especially likely to be bumped. I conceive of no inquiry. They're deep-sea fishes. Or the slag of slains, that it was a furnace product. The Reverend James Rust seemed to feel bumped. He tried in vain to arouse inquiry. As to a report from Chicago, April ninth, 1879, that slag had fallen from the sky. Professor E. S. Bastian, American Journal of Science, 3-18-78, says that the slag, quote, had been on the ground in the first place, end quote. It was furnace slag, quote, a chemical examination of the specimens has shown that they possess none of the characteristics of true meteorites, end quote. Over and over and over again, the universal delusion, hope and despair, of attempted positivism, that there can be real criteria or distinct characteristics of anything. If anybody can define, not merely suppose, like Professor Bastian, that he can define the true characteristics of anything, or so localized trueness anywhere, he makes the discovery for which the cosmos is laboring. He will be instantly translated, like a liar, into the positive absolute. My own notion is that, in a moment of super-concentration, Elijah became so nearly a real prophet that he was translated to heaven, or to the positive absolute, with such velocity that he left an incandescent train behind him, 
As we go along, we shall find the, quote, true test of meteoritic material, end quote, which in the past has been taken as an absolute, dissolving into almost utmost nebulosity. Professor Bastian explains mechanically, or in terms of the usual reflexes of all reports of unwelcome substances, that near where the slag had been found, telegraph wires had been struck by lightning, that particles of melted wire had been seen to fall near the slag, which had been on the ground in the first place. But according to the New York Times, April 14, 1879, about two bushels of this substance had fallen. Something that was said to have fallen at Darmstadt, June 7, 1846, listed by Gregg, Report of the British Association, 1867-416, as, quote, only slag, end quote. Philosophical Magazine, 4-10-381, that, in 1855, a large stone was found far in the interior of a tree in Battersea fields. Sometimes, cannonballs are found embedded in trees. Doesn't seem to be anything to discuss. Doesn't seem discussable that anyone would cut a hole in a tree and hide a cannonball, which one could take to bed and hide under one's pillow just as easily. So with the stone of Battersea Fields. What is there to say, except that it fell with high velocity and embedded in the tree? Nevertheless, there was a great deal of discussion. Because, at the foot of the tree, as if broken off the stone, fragments of slag were found. I have nine other instances. Slag and cinders and ashes and you won't believe, and neither will I, that they came from the furnaces of vast aerial superconstructions. We'll see what looks acceptable. As to ashes, the difficulties are great, because we'd expect many falls of terrestrially derived ashes, volcanoes, and forest fires. In some of our acceptances, I have felt a little radical. I suppose that one of our main motives is to show that there is in quasi-existence, nothing but a preposterous, or something intermediate to absolute preposterousness and final reasonableness, that the new is the obviously preposterous, that it becomes the established and disguisedly preposterous, that it is displaced, after a while, and is again seen to be the preposterous, or that all progress is from the outrageous to the academic or sanctified and back to the outrageous, modified, however, by a trend of higher and higher approximation to the impreposterous. Sometimes I feel a little more uninspired than at other times, but I think we're pretty well accustomed now to the oneness of allness, or that the methods of science in maintaining its system are as outrageous as the attempts of the damned to break in in the Annual Record of Science, 1875-241, Professor Dobray is quoted that ashes that had fallen in the Azores had come from the Chicago fire. Or, the damned and the saved, and there's little to choose between them, and angels are beings that have not obviously barbed tails to them, or never have such bad manners as to stroke an angel 
below the waistline. However, this especial outrage was challenged. The editor of the record returns to it in the issue of 1876, considers it, quote, in the highest degree improper to say that the ashes of Chicago were landed in the Azores, end quote. Bulletin de la Société d'Astrologie de France, 22-245 Account of a white substance, like ashes, that fell at Hanoi, France, March 27, 1908, simply called a curious phenomenon, no attempt to trace to a terrestrial source. Flake formations, which may signify passage through a region of pressure, are common, but spherical formations, as if of things that have rolled and rolled along planar regions somewhere, are commoner. Nature, January the 10th, 1884, quotes a Kimberley newspaper, that, toward the close of November 1883, a thick shower of ashy matter fell at Queenstown, South Africa. The matter was in marble-sized bowls, which were soft and pulpy, but which, upon drying, crumbled at touch. The shower was confined to one narrow streak of land. It would be only ordinarily preposterous to attribute this substance to Krakatoa. But, with the fall, loud noises were heard. But I'll omit many notes upon ashes. If ashes should sift down upon deep-sea fishes, that is not to say that they came from the steamships. Data of falls of cinders have been especially damned by Mr. Simons, the meteorologist, some of whose investigations will investigate later. Nevertheless, notice of a fall in Victoria, Australia, April 14, 1875. Report of the British Association, 1875-242. At least, we are told, in the reluctant way, that someone, quote, thought, end quote, he saw matter, fall near him at night, and the next day found something that looked like cinders. In the Proceedings of the London Royal Society, 19-122, there is an account of cinders that fell on the deck of a lightship, January the ninth, 1873. In the American Journal of Science, 2-24-449, there is a notice that the editor had received a specimen of cinders said to have fallen, in showery weather, upon a farm near Ottawa, Illinois, January 17, 1857. But, after all, ambiguous things they are, cinders or ashes or slag or clinkers. The high priest of the accursed that must speak aloud for us is coal that has fallen from the sky, or coke. The person who thought he saw something like cinders also thought he saw something like coke, we are told. Nature, 36-119. Something that, quote, looked exactly like coke, end quote, that fell during a thunderstorm in the Orne, France, April 24, 1887. Or charcoal, Dr. Angus Smith, in the Literary and Philosophical Society of Manchester Memoirs, 2-9, Dash one forty six says that about eighteen twenty seven, like a great deal in Lyell's Principles and Darwin's Origin, this account is from hearsay.
Something fell from the sky, near Allport, England. It fell luminously, with a loud report, and scattered in a field. A fragment that was seen by Dr. Smith is described by him as having, quote, the appearance of a piece of common wood charcoal, end quote. Nevertheless, the reassured feeling of the faithful, upon reading this, is burdened with data of differences. The substance was so uncommonly heavy that it seemed as if it had iron in it. Also, there was, quote, a sprinkling of sulphur, end quote. This material is said by Professor Baden-Powell to be, quote, totally unlike that of any other meteorite, end quote. Gregg, in his catalogue, Report of the British Association, 1860-73, calls it, quote, a more than doubtful substance, end quote. But again, against reassurance, that is not doubt of authenticity. Gregg says that it is like compact charcoal, with particles of sulphur and iron pirates embedded. Reassurance rises again. Professor Baden-Powell says, quote, It contains also charcoal, which might perhaps be acquired from matter among which it fell. End quote. This is a common reflex with the exclusionists, that substances not, quote, truly meteoritic, end quote, did not fall from the sky, but were picked up by, quote, truly meteoritic, end quote, things. Of course, only on their surfaces, by impact with this earth. Rhythm of reassurances and their declines. According to Dr. Smith, this substance was not merely coated with charcoal. His analysis give 43.59% carbon. Our acceptance that coal has fallen from the sky will be via data of resinous substances and bituminous substances, which merge so that they cannot be told apart. Resinous substances, said to have fallen at Kaba, Hungary, April 15, 1887. Report of the British Association, 1860-94. A resinous substance that fell after a fireball? At Newhouse, Bohemia, December 17, 1824. Report of the British Association, 1860-70. Fall, July 28, 1885, at Lutchen, during a storm, of a brownish substance, very friable, carbonaceous matter. When burned, it gave out a resinous odor. Contendu 103-837. Substance that fell February 17, 1819, 1841, at Genoa, Italy, said to have been resinous, said by Arago, Oeuvre 12-469, to have been bituminous matter and sand. Fall, during a thunderstorm, July 1681, near Cape Cod, upon the deck of an English vessel, the Albemarle, of, quote, burning bituminous matter, end quote. Edinburgh, New Philosophical Journal, 26-86. A fall, at Christiana, Norway, June 13, 1822, of bituminous matter, listed by Gregg as doubtful. Fall, of bituminous matter in Germany, March 8, 1798, listed by Gregg. Lockyer, 
The Meteoritic Hypothesis, page 24, says that the substance that fell at the Cape of Good Hope, October 13, 1833, about five cubic feet of it, substance so soft that it was cuttable with a knife, quote, after being experimented upon, it left a residue which gave out a very bituminous smell, end quote. And this inclusion of lockers, so far as findable in all books that I have read, is in books about as close as we can get to our desideratum, that coal has fallen from the sky. Dr. Farrington, except with a brief mention, ignores the whole subject of the fall of carbonaceous matter from the sky. Proctor, in all of his books that I have read, is in books about as close as we can get to the admission that carbonaceous matter has been found in meteorites, quote, in very minute quantities. Or my own suspicion is that it is possible to damn something else only by losing one's own soul, quasi-soul, of course. Scientific American, 35-120 That the substance that fell at the cave of Good Hope, quote, resembled a piece of anthracite coal more than anything else, end quote. It's a mistake, I think. The resemblance is to bituminous coal, but it is from the periodicals that we must get our data. To the writers of books upon meteorites, it would be as wicked, by which we mean departure from the characters of an established species, quasi-established, of course, to say that coal has fallen from the sky, as would be, to something in a barnyard, a temptation that it climbed a tree and catch a bird, domestic things in a barnyard, and how wild things from forests outside see to them. Or the homeopathist, but we shall shovel data of coal, and if over and over we shall learn of masses of soft coal that have fallen upon this earth, if in no instance has it been asserted that the masses did not fall, but were upon the ground in the first place, if we have many instances, this time we turn down good and hard the mechanical reflex that these masses were carried from one place to another in whirlwinds, because we find it too difficult to accept that whirlwinds could so select, or so specialize, in a peculiar substance. Among writers of books, the only one I know of who makes more than brief mention is Sir Robert Ball. He represents a still more antique orthodoxy, or is an exclusionist of the old type, still holding out against even meteorites. He cites several falls of carbonaceous matter, but with disregards, that make for reasonableness that earthly matter may have been caught up by whirlwinds and flung down somewhere else. If he had given a full list, he would be called upon to explain the special affinity of whirlwinds for a special kind of coal. He does not give a full list. We shall have all that's findable, and we shall see that against this disease we're writing the homeopathist's prescription availeth not. Another exclusionist was Professor Lawrence Smith. His psychotropism was to respond to all reports of carbonaceous matter falling from the sky by saying that this damned matter had been deposited upon things of the chosen by impact with this earth. Most of our data 
antedate him, or were contemporaneous with him, or were as accessible to him as to us. In his attempted positivism, it is simply, and beautifully, disregarded that, according to Berthelot, Berzelius, Cloes, Vola, and others, these masses are not merely coated with carbonaceous matter, but are carbonaceous throughout, or are permeated throughout. How any one could so resolutely and dogmatically and beautifully and blindly hold out would puzzle us, were it not for our acceptance that only to think is to exclude and include, and to exclude some things that have as much right to come in as have the included, that to have an opinion upon any subject is to be a Lawrence Smith, because there is no definite subject. Dr. Walter Flight, Eclectic Magazine, 8971, says, of the substance that fell near Alais, France, March 15, 1806, that it, quote, emits a faint bituminous substance, end quote, when heated, according to the observations of Virgilius, and a commission appointed by the French Academy. This time we have not the reluctance expressed in such words as, quote, like, end quote, and, quote, resembling, end quote. We are told that this substance is, quote, an earthly kind of coal, end quote. As to, quote, minute quantities, end quote, we are told that the substance that fell at the Cape of Good Hope has in it a little more than a quarter of organic matter, which in alcohol gives the familiar reaction to yellow resinous matter. Other instances given by Dr. Flight are carbonaceous matter that fell in 1840 in Tennessee, Cranbourne, Australia, 1861, Montauban, France, May 14, 1864, 20 masses, some of them as large as a human head, of a substance that, quote, resembled a dull-colored earthly lignite, end quote. Gualpara, India, about 1867, about 8% of a hydrocarbon. At Ornan, France, July 11, 1868, substance with, quote, an organic, combustible ingredient, end quote. At Hesle, Sweden, January 1, 1860. Knowledge, 4-134. That, according to Mr. Daubré, the substance that had fallen in the Argentine Republic, quote, resembled certain kinds of lignite and boghead coal, end quote. In Contrendu, 96-1764, it is said that this mass fell June 30, 1880, in the province Entre Rios, Argentina, that it is like brown coal, that it resembles all the other carbonaceous masses that had fallen from the sky. Something that fell at Grazac, France, August the 10th, 1885. When burned, it gave out a bituminous odor. Contre rendu, 104. Dash seventeen seventy one. Carbonaceous substance that fell in Rajpunta, India, January twenty second, nineteen eleven. Very friable, fifty percent of it soluble in water. Records Geological Survey of India, forty fourth part, one forty one.
a combustible carbonaceous substance that fell with sand at Naples. March 14, 1818. American Journal of Science. 1-1-309. Scientific American Supplement. 29-11798. That June 9, 1889, a very friable substance of a deep greenish-black fell at Megiri, Russia. It contained 5% organic matter, which, when powdered and digested in alcohol, yielded after evaporation a bright yellow resin. In this mass was 2% of an unknown mineral. Cinders and ashes and slag and coke and charcoal and coal and the things that sometimes deep-sea fishes are bumped by. Reluctances, and the disguises, or covered retreats of such words as like and resemble, or that conditions, of intermediateness, forbid abrupt transitions. But that the spirit animating all intermediateness is to achieve abrupt transitions, because if anything could finally break away from its origin and environment, that would be a real thing, something not merging away indistinguishably with the surrounding. So all attempt to be original, all attempt to invent something that is more than mere extension or modification of the preceding, is positivism. Or that, if one could conceive of a device to catch flies, positively different from, or unrelated to, all other devices, up he'd shoot to heaven, or the positive absolute, leaving behind such an incandescent train that in one age it would be said that he had gone aloft in a fiery chariot, and in another age that he had been struck by lightning. I'm collecting notes upon persons supposed to have been struck by lightning. I think that high approximation to positivism has often been achieved. Instantaneous translation, residue of negativeness left behind, looking much like effects of a stroke of lightning. Some day I shall tell the story of the Marie Celeste, properly, as the Scientific American supplement would say. Mysterious disappearance of a sea captain, his family, and crew. Of positivists, by the root of abrupt transition, I think that Manet was notable, but that his approximation was held down by his intensive relativity to the public, or that it is quite as impositive to flout and insult and defy as it is to crawl and placate. Of course, Manet began with continuity with Courbet and others, and then, between him and Manet, there were mutual influences. But the spirit of abrupt difference is the spirit of positivism, and Manet's stand was against the dictum that all lights and shades must merge away suavely into one another and prepare for one another. So a biologist, like the Vries, represents positivism, or the breaking of continuity, by trying to conceive of evolution by mutation, against the dogma of indistinguishable gradations by minute variations. A Copernicus conceives of heliocentricity. Continuity is against him. He is not permitted to break abruptly with the past. He is permitted to publish his work, but only as, quote, an interesting hypothesis, end quote. Continuity. 
and that all that we call evolution or progress is attempt to break away from it. That our whole solar system was at one time attempt by planets to break away from a parental nexus and set up as individualities, and failing, move in quasi-regular orbits that are expressions of relations with the sun and with one another, all having surrendered, being now quasi-incorporated in a higher approximation to system. Immediateness in its mineralogic aspect of positivism, or iron that strove to break away from sulfur and oxygen and be real, homogeneous iron, failing inasmuch as elemental iron exists only in textbook chemistry. Immediateness in its biologic aspect of positivism, or the wild, fantastic, grotesque, monstrous things it conceived of, sometimes in a frenzy of effort to break away abruptly from all preceding types, but failing in the giraffe effort, for instance, or only caricaturing an antelope. All things break one relation only by the establishing of some other relation. All things cut an umbilical cord only to clutch a breast. So the fight of the exclusionists to maintain the traditional, or to prevent abrupt transition from the quasi-established, fighting so that here, more than a century after meteorites were included, no other notable inclusion has been made, except that of cosmic dust, data of which Northern Skjold made more nearly real than data in opposition. So Proctor, for instance, fought and expressed his feeling of the preposterous against Sir W. H. Thompson's notions of a rival upon this earth of organisms on meteorites. Quote, I can only regard it as a jest, end quote. Knowledge, 1-302. Or that there is nothing but jest, or something intermediate to jest and tragedy. That ours is not an existence, but an utterance. That Momus is imagining us for the amusement of the gods, often with such success that some of us seem almost alive, like characters in something a novelist is writing, which often, to considerable degree, take their affairs away from the novelist. That Momus is imagining us and our arts and sciences and religions, and is narrating or picturing us as a satire upon the gods' real existence. Because, with many of our data of coal that has fallen from the sky as accessible as they are now, and with the scientific pronouncement that coal is fossil, how, in a real existence, by which we mean a consistent existence, or a state in which there is real intelligence, or a form of thinking that does not indistinguishably merge away with imbecility, could there have been such a row as that which was raised about forty years ago over Dr. Hahn's announcement that he had found fossils in meteorites? Accessible to anybody at that time. Philosophical Magazine, 4-17-425 that the substance that fell at Kaba, Hungary, April 15, 1857, contains organic matter, quote, analogous to fossil waxes, end quote. Or limestone. Of the block of limestone, which was reported 
to have fallen at Middleburg, Florida, it is said, Science 11-118, that though something had been seen to fall in, quote, an old cultivated field, end quote, the witnesses who ran to it picked up something that, quote, had been upon the ground in the first place, end quote. The writer who tells us this, with the usual exclusion imagination known as stupidity, but unjustly, because there is no real stupidity, thinks he can think of a good-sized stone that had for many years been in a cultivated field, but that had never been seen before, had never interfered with ploughing, for instance. He is earnest and unjarred when he writes that this stone weighs two hundred pounds. My own notion, founded upon my own experience in seeing, is that a block of stone weighing five hundred pounds may be in one's parlour twenty years, virtually unseen, but not in an old cultivated field, where it interfered with ploughing, not anywhere, if it interfered. Dr. Hahn said that he had found fossils in meteorites. There is a description of the corals, sponges, shells, and crinoids, all of them macroscopic, which he photographed in Popular Science 20-83. Dr. Hahn is a well-known scientist. He was better known after that. Anybody may theorize upon other worlds and conditions upon them that are similar to our own conditions. If his notions be presented undisguisedly as fiction, or only as an, quote, interesting hypothesis, end quote, he'll stir up no prude rages. But Dr. Hahn said definitely that he had found fossils in specified meteorites. Also, he published photographs of them. His book is in the New York Public Library. In the reproductions, every feature of some of the little shells is plainly marked. If they're not shells, neither are things under an oyster counter. The striations are very plain. One sees even the hinges where the bivalves are joined. Professor Lawrence Smith, Knowledge, 1-258, quote, Dr. Hahn is a kind of half-insane man whose imagination has run away with him. End quote. Conservation of Continuity Then, Dr. Weinland examined Dr. Hahn's specimens. He gave his opinion that they are fossils and that they are not crystals or enstatites, as asserted by Dr. Smith, who had never seen them. The Damnation of Denial and the Damnation of Disregard after the publication of Dr. Winland's findings, silence. End of section six. Read by J. C. Guan, Montreal, October two thousand eight.